Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Visions of a Blind Woman. Having six episodes under my proverbial belt, I'm taking a moment to sit back, do some deep breathing, and contemplate the universe, always the universe, the meaning of life, another always for us existentials. I am also considering the six installments of this podcast, the interviews I've done with some really incredible people, the lessons I've learned from them. You know, there's a reason I started this podcast, and that reason is that I want to be a resource for people who have recently lost their eyesight or are losing their eyesight due to illness or injury or whatever. I want to help. I want to tell them that as difficult as it seems right now in this exact moment in time, wherever they are in their process or even as simple as where they are in their living room, listening to forensic files, or The Price is Right, or Young and the Restless. Can you believe that show is still on? I mean, come on now, Victor is still sexy. But you're sitting there and you're yearning for the days when you could open your eyes, now filled with shadows and tears, and you could actually see that colorful picture on the TV screen and that Victor and Nikki are forever preserved in whatever they do on those soaps to keep them forever stretched in the face. I remember that feeling, that wanting. I remember the fear and the frustration and the hopelessness that made me want to give up and bury myself under a rock. And you feel alone. You may feel like You have no one to talk to about what is happening to you because how could anyone understand? I do understand. You are the reason I am doing this podcast and I guess I'm doing it for me too. Healing happens in stages and in waves. I may sound all big and bad right now, but there are times when I don't feel big and bad. Every now and then, this blindness thing and adjusting and accepting, it really kicks my butt. That is how change is. Any kind of change or loss. When God, the universe, and Mother Earth get funny and they pull out the rug from under us, just to shake things up a little bit, it can be devastating to us. And we have to learn how to deal with those changes. I believe there are no accidents in life. All that we encounter, who we encounter on our happy trails, are strategically placed there by God, the universe, Mother Earth, probably to make up for that fun they had pulling the rug out in the first place. And if you pay attention you might eventually discover their meaning to the journey. My problem is that whole attention piece. More often than not, my attention is, well, God knows where. I'm kind of like Peter Griffin on Family Guy. I get distracted by clouds or birds or Walmart bags floating around in the breeze. (laughs) Really, I do. A couple of months ago, I was a guest on a podcast. That was before I started my own. Two of my Adam State students and now friends, Sharon Abeda and Christy Banta, are the creators of this wonderful podcast, Two Girls in a Pod. Their podcast is all about being mentally healthy and learning from the treasures of your own journey. If you haven't already checked it out, please look for their podcast, Two Girls in a Pod, and you can start with the interview they did with me, because that's some great stuff right there, boy. During that interview, they asked me who were the icons who have influenced me the most and have in some way shaped my life. I've been thinking a lot about that question. 
The answer I gave them was true. I said, my grandmother, and then I mentioned all the greats, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Sojourner Truth, Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, all true icons to me growing up and to the greater society for sure. And then my thinking went a little deeper and the question challenged me to go into my own heart and soul and look for those people in my own circle who have left a thumbprint or a palm print on my spirit. People who in some unique way have shaped my spirit and provided some tool for my life toolbox. We all have a toolbox or maybe a cajon in your closet where we stored all the tools of living and we keep filling it up. There's tools that we get every day if we're listening and paying attention. When we experience something new, we go through some things and we adjust and it is that adjustment, even if it's painful or not painful, whatever the case may be, that adjustment teaches us what we need to know in case we encounter that event again in our lives or something like it. Think of a baby, so cute and cuddly. Actually, they all look like old men, but that's not true. But their brains come out as smooth as, well, a baby's butt. <laughs> well, that's not really true. Since a baby's brain has already begun to develop wrinkles during its time in the womb, but play along with me anyway. It is the experiences and the learning that causes all those convolutions in our brains, the gyri, the wrinkles. Every time that little baby finds its thumb and sticks it in her mouth, bam, there's a convolution. And when that baby cries and figures out that when she does, that pretty lady or handsome man jumps up and feeds her or holds her or gets her out of that nasty diaper, bam, a convolution. And when she grabs onto the edge of the coffee table and pulls herself up to a standing position and then takes some steps around the table, ah, bam, you know what happens. It is the same throughout our lives. And as we get older, the lessons become a bit more abstract. Like when we drive 10 miles over the speed limit and see those pretty lights come up fast behind us and have to pay a fine, can you say, ah, damn, and then convolution. Or when we lose a close family member or start raising a child or start a career or end a career, all learning experiences and all requiring adjustments that create wrinkles in our brains, new synapses, new connections, new learning. Wrinkles also hit the face, but that's a whole different topic. Those wrinkles, those lessons translate to tools in our toolboxes. My toolbox is filled with wonderful things, things that I've been gifted along the way through my experiences growing up, losses I have had in my lifetime, the fun and adventures of young adulthood. Thank God we survive young adulthood. Endless days in a classroom taking notes, blah, 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 all serve to help me get through the various stages and challenges and wondrous points in my life my life. One of my favorite memories is Christmas at grandma's house when I was a kid. It was in the 70s. So when I look back at those pictures, we all look really, really funny. My tios have the crazy haircut where it's parted on one side and swoops down into the forehead region. And my tias have big hair, not quite as big as the 80s hair, but certainly a precursor. Grandma and grandpa were the central theme in my dad's family. 
Their home in Antonito was the hub. That is where everyone congregated. I was lucky. I got to live with my grandparents. After my mom passed away, after her long battle with kidney disease and three transplants, and in fact, during the year she was in and out of hospitals in Denver, Colorado, which was four and a half hours, well, still is, four and a half hours away from little old Antonito, my dad's parents watched over me, <laughs> like eagle parents. I am told, and I have the newspaper article to prove the story true, that the last attempt at a transplant for my mom was from a motorcycle gang member. Word has it, that he was on trial for some crime he committed. And when he found out that he was guilty and was going to have to serve some serious time, he somehow grabbed an officer's handgun and shot himself in the head, right there in the courtroom, dead. Apparently, his wife chose to donate all of his healthy organs to be used to help others. And my mom was the happy recipient of his kidneys. My Aunt Bessie tells me that my mom would brag after receiving those kidneys. She was a full-fledged biker mama. Well, unfortunately, my mom's little body had something to say about that and rejected those biker kidneys. But that's a story for a different day. I digress. What was I saying? Oh yeah, Christmas at Grandma's. So anyway, it was a really big deal, those holiday things. A day or two before Christmas Eve, the house began to fill. Impatiently, I would wait for Uncle Junior and Aunt Dorothy and my cousins Andrea and David to arrive from Albuquerque, New Mexico. When they finally arrived, that meant the holidays were on. Andrea, David, and I were like siblings, playing, fighting, eating, fighting, you know. And Aunt Dorothy and Uncle Junior were just great. They were constantly joking and teasing and singing, making up songs. Uncle Junior would smack Aunt Dorothy on the butt really hard, and she would yell, Oh, Junior! And on Christmas Eve, my Uncle Herman and Aunt Patsy would arrive after like we waited and waited, because they were always late. But they would get there with their own kids, Rosa, Andres, and Elena. And later, Hedman would be there too, but I'm a lot older than him. The house came alive with laughter and Christmas carols. And then came the enchiladas. Oh, my God. Grandma made this incredible red chili with hamburger, a very simple and traditional recipe. She would cook bolita beans all day long, and the house smelled like Latino heaven. And when everyone was there, everyone, meaning my great tias, Mercy and Sophie, my grandpa's sisters who lived next door, and my Aunt Mercy's daughter, my Aunt Judy, we all called her aunt because she was a lot older than us, but she was really like an aunt, and her two kids, Deidre and Joey, and my Aunt Mercy's son, Tim, and his wife, Berna, and their kids. You see how this is going, right? Sometime around 4.30 or 5 when everybody got there, Las Mujeres, the women, would make an assembly line in the kitchen. And they would put these heavenly enchiladas together. Layer by lovely layer. Corn tortilla soaked in that delicious chili then a spoonful on top, then the beans, then the cheese, a pinch of onions if you like them, then another layer of the same, and another if you were really hungry. Then, on top of all of that, more chili, cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, onions, and voila! Oh, and of course, Aunt Dorothy would add a mountain of chili piqui to make it even hotter. And there you had it. The original. The one and only. The best there ever was and the best there ever will be. The enchilada. 
And the adults would sit around the dining room table chit-chatting and munching down on that glorious feast. And me and my cousins would be jumping out of our skin, wishing they would hurry the hell up. As soon as they were done, we could get to the dishes and then get to the presents. You know, there was so much more to our Christmases at Grandma's. I mean, singing Christmas carols, watching for Santa and Rudolph from Grandma's bedroom window, hearing a commotion in the living room and just missing Santa, who had stopped by to drop off more presents. And after devouring the presents at that house, trekking next door to Aunt Mercy's and Aunt Sophie's house to attack even more presents under their tree, and then getting ready for midnight mass while trying to play with our new toys. Hey, I could go on and on and on about this, but, you know, my, my podcast is only so long, right? The moral of this story, though, is my life is just like that huge and delicious enchilada. It was created by the same loving hands and care that my grandma and my tias put in that assembly line, constructed layer by layer, carefully spooning in the joy and the laughter and love with the pinch of spice that can sometimes bring tears. And all, all, all of it are critical to making that colossal enchilada absolutely delicious. And that is my life. And my assembly line has been made up of some really extraordinary people who knowingly or unknowingly have contributed in some important way to my deliciousness. Of course, it begins with my parents, the people who are responsible for that main ingredient, me, my mom. Casilda Teresa Romero Valdez. She lived 24 years and passed away when I was 19 months old after a long, year-long battle with failing kidneys. She was beautiful. She was funny and so, so caring, passionate about life and generous with her love and her laughter. Everybody I've ever talked to about my mom just loved her. During her year-long battle with her illness, she was brave and strong and loving, and she maintained her sense of humor, never complaining about anything, so I'm told. She still took care of those around her, her family, making sure they were laughing and okay. Those were the ingredients she added to my substance, As I have worked my way through this experience with losing my eyesight, I know my mom was there, cheering me on, kicking my butt when I needed it, when I got trapped in self-pity, always urging me to be brave and strong, and for heaven's sakes, keep laughing and loving. My dad, Ernesto Alberto Valdez. Despite a rough go at it, I always loved my dad. Word has it, he loved my mom deeply and completely. And when he lost her, he lost himself. And in the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. My dad's mom, Patty Rival Valdez, the strong, sharp as attack, hilarious woman who raised me. She added the ancient wisdom shared through stories and a sense of fun and laughter and a dash of skepticism and lots of forgiveness and patience. She taught me to play rummy, but somehow she always kicked my butt. Even on the day before she passed away, she beat me bad. And dad's dad, Andres Alfonso Valdez, He was quiet and peaceful and calm, solid, strong, with a quick wit. He was my protector. When I was a little girl, I went everywhere with Grandpa. 
he'd take me fishing and I would sometimes follow too close. And when we walked, the branches would snap back and slap me in the face, but I didn't care. I, I had this little yellow fishing pole that he got me and it had this little black shotgun handle. And he taught me how to cast my line and how to put a worm on my hook or grasshoppers. I'd spend all afternoon before a fishing trip catching grasshoppers. He taught me how to clean a fish. Ugh, yuck. Saturday mornings meant a trip to town. Main Street Antonito. First stop, the bank. Then the post office, where everybody was prim. Hey, prim. Hello, prim. Everybody was prim, which means cousin, because grandpa couldn't remember anybody's name. Then we'd hit Murphy's Hardware Store. Man, that was my favorite place. I love that store. It was old and everything creaked. The floors, the walls, even the windows. And those very large windows, they had layers and layers of grime and the remnants of many conversations over the bins of nails. Grandpa would talk with Murphy for a long time, and I liked that because I would walk around the store, and my favorite things were those bins of nails and screws, so shiny and new. I loved to dip my fat little hands in that bin and scoop up those nails, and then I'd look at them real close, and then I'd open my hands up just a little bit and let them fall through back into the bin and I loved the pinging sound ping 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 that they'd make when they'd land on each other it was so cool and after Murphy's it was off to grandpa's store where he was the butcher actually it was Kellogg's market but to all of us it was grandpa's store there was this very large and very kind of ageless man I think he was ancient. And every Saturday, it seemed, when we'd go there, he was always there. The Big Bully. That was his name, The Big Bully. I didn't know him by anything else. He was so tall, and he wore this really big cowboy hat that had seen better days. And you know what? I hated running into The Big Bully. He would always chase me around Grandpa's legs, trying to catch me to feed me to his pigs. Grandpa was my refuge then, and always. And when it was time to go to college and live in the dorms, Grandpa bought me a teddy bear to keep me safe when he couldn't be there. Yes, Grandma and Grandpa were definitely the chili in my enchilada. And there were more ingredients more tools, so many people who have shaped my world. And it is impossible to mention them all in this short podcast. But you know what? I'm going to mention a few. Sometimes they come in packages. Patsy and Herman, my tios. Uncle Herman would read to me when I was a little girl, probably about five or six years old. And at that time, they hadn't married yet. He was still only dating my Aunt Patsy, my madrina, my godmother. I had this big Mother Goose book. I can see it now in my brain. It was this greenish blue color and had a big white goose on the cover. And I'd sit on the couch next to him and hand him the book. And he would read all of the nursery rhymes to me. You know he still does that? When I visit him at his home in Alamosa, sometimes he pulls out a book, Tales of Our Culture, and he'll read it to me or whomever else is fortunate enough to be in the room with me at the time. He'll take a DVD and pop it into the player. Last time, the movie was Bless Me Ultima based on the iconic book by Rodolfo Anaya. Over coffee in the mornings, he shares the stories of our culture. He shares the art and music and literature that he features in his quarterly magazine, El Alba, which means the dawn. I don't know why, but 
when I talk about my Uncle Herman, I always get choked up. I just love him so much. And my Aunt Patsy, my madrina, my godmother, she is truly one of those people in my life who has always loved me unconditionally. She is my touchstone in this world, my anchor, an anchor to myself. And Aunt Dorothy and Uncle Junior. Uncle Junior was a class act and shared his love of basketball and football. He was a diehard Dallas fan. And he loved Star Trek, the original Star Trek with William Shatner when he was young and handsome. Weekdays at 10.30 p.m. following the local news. To me, the only thing that really ever caused Uncle Junior grief was keeping streaks off his car windows. He always had to have the cleanest car. And Aunt Dorothy, she was the light in any room. She was hilariously funny, lighthearted, intensely loving. She didn't take life too seriously. And she was gone way too soon. And then there was Aunt Mercy and Aunt Sophie, my grandpa's sisters. They were a constant in my life, all through my childhood and far into my adulthood. They were always there. Independent women, so loving and kind-hearted. I loved in my adulthood when I would go visit my mommy. That's what I called my grandma. And my Aunt Mercy would come over. I'd get the glasses, go to the refrigerator and pour us a little glass of wine, white Zinfandel. They liked it with a little bit of 7-Up. I took mine straight, of course. Then I'd sit back, I'd shut up, and I'd watch and listen as the stories flowed and the two of them would talk and laugh and share those stories of the good old days. They were like a couple of schoolgirls, and my heart was full. God, those were good times. There was Veronica Trujillo. She was my best friend in high school a true gift to me, always so responsible at an early age. Her dad was very ill and she and her mom cared for him at home. Veronica was smart, independent, driven, an adult way before it was time to be an adult and so generous with her heart and her friendship. Luis Romero, 13 was a very difficult age for me daddy issues and all. That was the year that my dad let my grandparents legally adopt me. Luis was my best friend then. Over tennis matches with breaks in between, sitting on those old picnic tables at the Catholic Church, he listened to my sob stories and he shared his own hurts and wisdom and he never took advantage of our friendship. Always my cheerleader. We were married several years later and were married for 12 years. Then as some things do, the marriage ended, but the dear friendship will always remain. And of course, there were the elders of Antonito. Antonito was a very, well, is a very small community, very tight knit. We had three churches in our town, the Presbyterian church, the assembly of God church and the Catholic church. For me, the Catholic Church was a huge part of my growing up. I was in the choir, I sang, I played the organ, I read the lessons in church. Grandma and Grandpa made me read those lessons beginning in junior high school, I think it was. This was actually a gift because it taught me about speaking in public, articulating, and not being afraid to stand in front of a group of people all staring back at me with wide eyes. Yikes, I was scared at first. Hmm, nothing now, right? But anyway, the community elders, like my little grandma, who was my great-grandmother, my grandpa's mom, was 92 when she passed away. My tia Bernabe. My grandma and I would visit tia Bernabe on Saturdays, and every time we went over, 
She had these beautiful dresses on with those little black pointy shoes with the small block heel. And her hair was impeccably twisted in a bun at the base of her neck. She would always have coffee and cookies. And she had this little clock on her dining room wall. It was a yellow cat with bulging white eyes and the eyes and the tail moved when the clock tick-tocked from side to side. There was Margarita, who lived up the alley behind Grandma and Grandpa. She was 80-something years old, going on 150. She would be out there in the wintertime in her flower dresses with her apron on, a sweater thrown over all of that, and some kind of boots. I think they were like overshoes. She would be chopping wood for her wood stove every year, year after year, day after day, chopping wood, this 80-some-year-old woman, making us all look bad. She was a strong woman, boy. And then there was Meliton and Cleotilda. Say that three times fast. My grandma and I would drive out to their place. They lived in the hills somewhere. Uh, they raised chickens and we would get fresh eggs from them. I loved those people. Cleotilde was a bingo fanatic. At Mercy, my grandma and I would go to the bingo and sit next to Cleotilde. She was a trip, boy. She smoked like a train. Well, everybody did at that time. And she would make us laugh. She would tell stories and yell out things at random. Not necessarily bingo, but other things, crazy shit, like Eleventeen. That was her word she loved. She created that word, I think. Well, it's not really a word, but, you know, she came up with that. She was just a crazy woman. I loved her to death. And there was Mrs. Sandoval, another pillar in our community. She raised several kids alone because I think her husband passed away many years before her kids were older. She had several sons. They were ranchers, skilled horsemen who became teachers and principals. And she had daughters who were also quite formally educated. Her daughter, Candy, was my teacher in, when I was in school, elementary school. And her daughter, Lucy, went to medical school and became a doctor. Lucy and I are still friends on Facebook. All of these elders and several more contributed in some very important way to my toolbox. They watched over us little young'uns. And if we stepped out of line, we knew, I knew, that one of them would be watching and would call my grandparents to tell them that I screwed up. So I told that line boy. They modeled for us family and friendship and humility and generosity and community. And they were consistently there. They were the pillars on which our community thrived. And Sister Casimir, my first grade teacher. I remember in first grade, I was in there with some crazy kids, my classmates, who I also love dearly. They are also icons for me, all 51 of them. I made number 52. But my cousins, Joey and Jonathan, were in my class at that time. Believe it or not, I was so quiet and shy. And Joey was absolutely crazy and would always make me laugh. And one day we were supposed to be working on something quietly. And Joey did something and made me laugh. And I laughed so loud, I got in trouble with Sister Casimir. She made me stay after school. She drew a small circle on the chalkboard and I had to stand on my tippy toes to put my nose in that circle and hold it there in that pose for a certain amount of time. I was devastated. I never got in trouble, but Joey got me in trouble that day. Damn Joey. I'll get him back sometime. And my grandma had to come and get me from school, which was really not a big deal, but it was to me. I was only in first grade. Sister Casimir was awesome. 
She was happiness incarnate, always whistling. When I'd go see her at the rectory, she was always whistling and singing. And she had this beautiful little laugh and she shared it so easily. Her shadow was this little dog named Coco, this little white fluffy ball of scurriness. That's the only word I can use to describe Coco. Grandma and I would visit her, Sister Casimir and her mom, Estella, and I'd listen to them talk about the old days. Those were good times. When I was an adult, Grandma and I would talk on the phone like several times a day, and I'd visit her every evening. She told me about one morning when a bird stood perched outside her living room window for a long time. She believed that birds were messengers and they told you of someone's passing or birth, I think. As that bird left her window that day, she received a phone call, someone telling her that Sister Casimir had passed away. We believe that Sister Casimir came to say goodbye to my grandma. Then I got to college and my advisor was Dr. Lina Samora. She also became my mentor, and I am proud to say my friend. She taught me that it was okay to be one of the onlys. She was one of the onlys on the faculty, one of the only Latinos on staff at the college, except for the janitorial crew. I was in a small group of onlys enrolled there at that time. I mean, there were a few of us, but the numbers were small. And she taught me to sit in the front of the room unapologetically and raise my hand and for God's sake, ask questions. Let your voice be heard. Be noticed, Hita. That's what she would say. Stop hiding in the background. Dr. Samora is a strong Latina, still in my life, I am happy to say, cheering me on with a voice and an opinion about everything. And there is Ellis Scott Fryson Jr., Scott's dad, retired Army major, Vietnam veteran, Purple Heart recipient, a man well before his time with OCS and flight school when it was unheard of for an African-American to do any of that. He is the officer who grounded an entire fleet of Mohawks due to a mechanical glitch that would have caused much injury and death, despite the scorn of his generals. He is strong, outspoken, incredibly intelligent, gifted with the spoken word and gifted with the written word, with a strong sense of family despite a tumultuous beginning of his own. He is a man that retired from the Department of the Army and then pursued a few careers, the last one being an attorney because he wanted to help people. And then Loretta G. Fryson, Loretta Grant Fryson, Scott's mom. She has become a dear friend and confidant. She and I came from similar beginnings, except that she moved around a lot more than I did. This woman has the most incredible sense of morals and doing the right thing no matter what the cost. Tremendously supportive and giving of herself. She always is ready to listen and share her wisdom. I keep telling her she needs to write her book already. My Uncle Ernie, my mom's kid brother. He was Ernie Bubbles to me, and I'm Rainy Bubbles to him. It's still that way even now. When I was a little girl... I think even up into my adolescence and now as an adult, unfortunately, it's still kind of the case. I was described by some as a fawn in the forest, comfortable in the silence and solitude, but the sound of a twig snapping in the distance would startle me and I'd run and hide in a closet, on the tippy top of the haystack out back, 
just where nobody could find me. And later, when I'd feel that sense of whatever it was, I'd hide in my own heart. Ernie Bubbles was one of those people who gained my trust somehow. He loved me enough to pursue and, and draw out that little girl and tell me and show me that it's okay. It's okay to be loved and it's safe. And he's still like that. He still draws me out of hiding and he loves me no matter what. So Uncle Ernie is part of my enchilada. I love you, Ernie Bubbles. And my Aunt Bessie, my mom's sister, I found her later in my adulthood through my cousin Bobby. My cousin Bobby just passed away a few months ago. I miss him so much. He and I were close. I would always ask about my Aunt Bessie in the past when I would talk to him. When I lost my eyesight about 10 years ago, Bobby knew I was really, really down and he would encourage me to connect to his mom. Well, I did reach out to Aunt Bessie, and she was right there with open arms. My tia mama is so generous and loving and has a quick and a little warped sense of humor. And she's plugged in too. She loves Facebook and she loves playing games on her smartphone. She is a true woman of the world. She's my tia mama and my friend. Who knew, right? And National Federation of the Blind, Virginia family. So embracing, so accepting. When I lost my eyesight and stumbled upon a local chapter of the National Federation of the Blind, I was accepted like an old family member. They surrounded me with love and friendship. They learned about me and my talents and my interests. And then they put me to work, serving as a mentor for youth, chairing committees, and so much more. They are mentors and teachers, sharing hope in those really, really dark days 10 years ago. And there is Ellis Scott Fryson, the motherfucking third. And I say that because that's what he calls himself sometimes. I don't mean to be offensive. He's my honey. He survived cancer in his adolescence, and it was a cancer that should have taken his life, except that, thank goodness, the docs at Walter Reed Army Medical Center had some experimental drugs up their sleeves, super soldier serum, he calls it, that saved his life. And I think that is what makes him so damned arrogant. He outran the Grim Reaper. He is always the teacher, the sensei, the maestro. Always the friend and protector, the lion. More like the tiger. Tiger was his nickname when he was a kid. Scott is loyal to a fault and so generous. Even when I am not the best partner to him, he still is the absolute best, the fixer of all things, or at least he tries to. Sometimes he tinkers too much and messes shit up, but I digress. And underneath that muscular and rough exterior he shows the world, he's a big softy with a smile that lights up the universe, truly. And he has a sense of purpose that drives him to exhaustion. And everyone else around him, too, because he expects excellence. And he is my love. There are incredible people, you see, who have constructed my enchilada. The chili, the corn tortillas, the cheese, the lettuce, the tomatoes, the onion. And for me, now, chili piqui, just like my Aunt Dorothy. Layer by layer, my enchilada has been constructed with loving hands. And there are so many more people out there on the timeline of my life. Individuals, I can see their faces in my brain, who have contributed to my enchilada. But man, this podcast is only so long.
When my life has taken turns on which I did not plan, like losing my eyesight, I think Evelyn Valdez referred to her toolbox of skills that she can access and help her overcome the challenges of her own life. For me, it is my enchilada. My heart goes back to Grandma's kitchen on Christmas Eve and the assembly line of the strong women laughing and singing while they construct this beautiful creation layer by delicious layer. And my own assembly line of mentors and friends and family and people I love and cherish who have gifted me the layers of joy, of love and resilience to withstand any storm even blindness, and also blindness. And I have come to a point in this journey of mine, as a woman, as a blind woman, as a mestiza, where I am able to recognize and appreciate the many gifts I have received along the way that are adding to my deliciousness. And today, I am not defined by my blindness any more than I am defined by my graying hair or my voluptuous hips or that new laugh line around my lips. I am an enchilada through and through. Ha! I wanted to share this with all of you for an important reason. I remember what it was like for me when I first lost my eyesight. I remember the fear and the sadness and the hopelessness I felt. And I couldn't see a way up and out of that black hole. There came a time for me. I'm not sure when or how or where I was. None of that really matters. What matters is that it did. And when it did, the dense sludge that had settled on my spirit began to shift and shake and break off at first in very little tiny pieces and then a little bigger pieces and then it got smaller and smaller and thinner and now it's almost gone. I say almost because there are still still dark times, but I'm not buried in that sludge anymore. And you know what happened? It was my enchilada. It was my toolbox, my cajon. It was those beautiful layers of chili and my Uncle Herman's stories and the cheese and my grandma's inner strength and the frijoles and my mother's crazy sense of humor in the face of death. It was all of the people in my assembly line who constructed my enchilada with so much love and care, filling it with all the lessons that shaped my life. They shared with me and gifted me those lessons throughout my lifetime. It was Dr. Samora telling me to be heard. And my honey, Scott, so arrogant because he outran the grim reaper. And my tia mama, daring to feel her pain and her joy. You have your own strengths and tools. And if you are going through some major change in your own life, be it blindness or the loss of a son, or the loss of a business, or, or, or. It is time to tap into your own tools and get on with living. I know it's hard. I know you're scared. Do it anyway. For God's sake, For the universe's sake, for Mother Earth's sake, open that cajon and start taking inventory of what you have inside. You have your own gifts. You have your own tools. Put them to work for you. 
And remember, you are not alone in this. Get up. Get out. Reach out. My email is ReneeFValdez at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you're going through right now. I want you to share with me a sounding board. Someone who may understand those feelings that you're having. I'll hook you up. Tell me what you need. Tell me what resources you're lacking. I'll hook you up. All right. (laughs) I guess I got a little carried away. Anyway, all true, all true. And remember, first of all, remember you're not alone, okay? There's lots of us out here that want to help. And remember to look for my new episode of Visions of a Blind Woman every Tuesday, come hell or high water, I hope. And for God's sake, will you already follow me on Spotify? Jesus, what do I got to (laughs) do? Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening, for hanging in there with me. And as always, hasta luego!